Structurally, when you've got some people in the office and some people not in the office, it creates real variation in people's experiences of work and in their ability to work together. And, and fundamentally, you know, I think there's, there's two big components that are kind of important because they both create power differences between people who are in the office and people who are not, right? And one is people's access to resources. And the other is visibility, right? If you're in the office, you probably have more visibility to your manager. Welcome to The Ripple Effect, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the minds of work and faculty. I'm your host, Dan Loney, and in each episode, we'll be diving deep into the inspiration behind the groundbreaking research that Wharton professors have conducted and exploring how their findings resonate with the world today. So get ready to dive into new ideas with The Ripple Effect. We're now three and a half years into the experiment of remote work, and the viewpoints between corporate expectations and employee desires has never been wider. According to LinkedIn data, a staggering 50% of job applicants are not interested in full-time office positions, and around 40% would consider quitting if forced back into the office full-time. But here's the kicker. Despite this demand for flexibility, the number of job listings offering remote work has seen a significant decline. So what gives? Why is there such a disconnect and how can organizations bridge this gap without losing their best talent or compromising on productivity and innovation? To help us navigate these complex issues, we're delighted to welcome in Martine Haas. She specializes in examining the inequities and challenges that often arise in hybrid work setups. And she's here to shed light on the nuanced landscape of our evolving work culture. Martine, great to have you back with us. Thanks for a few moments today. Thanks. It's great to see you, Dan. So the topic of, of hybrid work is obviously one that I think for most of us going back three or four years really wasn't in our vernacular. But now here we are. The pandemic has, you know, for the most part, come and gone. What are your thoughts on kind of the state of hybrid work right now in in the moment, but also maybe what your expectations are? For hybrid work as we move forward? Well, it's a, a great question. I guess it's the million dollar question that's on everybody's minds. Um, you know, this, the state of hybrid work right now, in some ways, looks surprisingly, and I don't know, I don't want to use the word stable, but, you know, it looks strong, I guess, um, in the sense of, you know, even in the last six months, certainly in the last year or so, it feels like a lot of organizations have kind of converged on hybrid work as, you know, a sweet spot. I kind of think of it as it's not it's not perfect, but it's kind of a good compromise between the the tensions and the benefits that we see to workers who might want to be remote more of the time. Um, some might want to be in the office, but a lot do want to be remote, and to managers who might want to be remote, but a, a lot of times want their folks in the office. And so it's, it feels like it's a compromise that both sides have kind of come to, even the firms that were kind of strongly, you know, we're going to let everyone be remote they've kind of realized, wow, we're losing some stuff. Maybe we kind of need to do more things together. And on the other hand, the firms that have been, you know, let's be completely in the, uh, you know, completely in the office have realized that workers really like the strong pressures to let people work hybrid at least some of the time. So it feels like we've settled into something of a routine in many companies where, uh, which looks hybrid, right? Where people are in the office some days and not others. And it's, it's, it's likely, given that there are benefits on both sides and reasons to do both, that we will, this will be the way it looks for at least the foreseeable future right now. So you mentioned managers, and, and I guess let's start there with, because managers in the scope uh, of the operation of a company and, and the employees certainly have a lot to deal with. I, I guess, 
What is it that we need to know to better understand how managers are going to be able to deal with the component of hybrid work in terms of running their their divisions, their operations? You know, I think one really fundamental underlying thing that we need to recognize because it affects so much else of what happens is that structurally, when you've got some people in the office and some people not in the office, it creates real variation in people's experiences of work and in their ability to work together. And, and fundamentally, you know, there, I think there's, there's two big components that are kind of important because they both create power differences between people who are in the office and people who are not, right? And one is people's access to resources, right? The resources are whether it's it's the photocopier or it's the manager's ear or it's support or advice from other workers, you have more of those resources if you're in the office with other people usually than if you're at home. This is assuming some people are working from home and some people are in the office, you know, at any given point in time. And the other is visibility, right? If you're in the office, you probably have more visibility to your manager, probably your manager's in the office too. But even if they're not, other people are seeing and, you know, hearing you work and, you know, they're more, it's more obvious what you're doing. And so resources and visibility matter because they're bases of power in organizations. Right, people who have more of them tend to have more power, and that tends to mean that when you, you know, are in the office more, you kind of have more access to some of the stuff and maybe more power than people who are in the office less. Uh, particularly people who are kind of never in the office, um, but people who are in the office less on a given day or in a given week. Um, and so, I think managers need to sort of start with that fundamental recognition that people are just in different structural positions, and as a result all is not equal, right? It's an unequal playing field. Um, and that means that we need to develop ways and competencies around managing that. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. And in the, as I mentioned before, there's lots of advantages to it. Um, but it needs to it needs to be actively managed and people need to have, you know, have recognition and assistance in building the competencies to manage that situation, whether they're the people who are working remotely or the people in the office, both, both of them and the managers. So does technology as part of kind of the the overall mix here does technology make it easier or harder for the manager to be able to do a lot of those things and it may be you know uh, it, it may depend on manager to manager how they react to the use of zoom and, and 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 texting and all of these different components that we now use more often yeah i think of course technology makes it easier oh we wouldn't be doing it at all right and the reason why hybrid work is now so widespread when it really didn't even you know as you say it wasn't even part of our vernacular for you know four or five years ago um is is because of technology without question, right? And the fact that Zoom, you know, came along and not only that it came along, but that we all shot up that learning curve to, to a level that everybody, even the, the least technologically adept managers can basically manage Zoom calls now, right? And that has enabled this in a way that it just wouldn't have happened, not nearly so fast otherwise. We already had a lot of this technology and it wasn't happening so fast. So technology makes it all possible, but it doesn't make it all perfect. Um, and I think there's a tendency not to recognize that some of the imperfections are things that really need attention, right? And there's all sorts of stuff that happens when we rely on technology unthinkingly um, that can be pretty dysfunctional, actually, for our ability to work together effectively, collaborate, get things done the best possible way. So when you're talking about the, the, the idea of hybrid work, there are a couple of different components, I think, that you have to bring up. One being this idea of of flexible hybrid and the other being kind of a, a fixed hybrid. If you can't take us through both of those and and differentiate the one from the other. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a pretty um, simple distinction. The fixed hybrid just kind of means that idea that some people are always in the office and, you know, they're most of the time, um, if not all the time, whereas some people are always remote, right? And that's a pretty, you know, 
extreme version of the situation, but we do see that a lot um, in many organizations. Um, whereas the flexible hybrid is when you're kind of, if somebody, the same person is in the office some days and, and out of the office other days of the week, right? And I think the distinction is important just to say that the, the flexible hybrid, I think, is less problematic or you, you're able to work through more of the issues and see more of the issues that come up when you've got people coming in and out of the office. It creates a lot of its own, you know, issues too. But at least you're not having people who are never there and people who are always there because when you have that situation, the fixed hybrid, some of these sort of um, tensions or divisions or potential, potential gulfs in understanding and, and so on are much more extreme than when you've got people coming in and out. And, and I think in, uh, the reality is that many organizations have seen that and a lot of, a lot of companies are using um, the flexible hybrid where people are coming in and out you know, during the week for in part because of those reasons. Does it bring into play uh, a component of the, the, the playing field not being level uh, for all individuals because of these dynamics being different from one another. Yeah, so the playing field is particularly unlevel when you are in this fixed hybrid system where some people never come in and other people are always in because there you really, you know, it's some people who have consistently more access to resources and visibility to high-level management than the people who are more remote, right? And so, you know, I think there are this sort of issues about the, the lack of levelness in the playing field are really important to recognize um, in a hybrid system or in a remote work system where people, some people have more of this than others, right, or um, more access to some of these bases of power. Um, and but, but it's also the case and important to recognize that some people may be worse affected by the same sort of distance as others right, than others. So if you have people who, um, you know, so I've written a bit about women, right, in the workplace um, who may have a, a natural disadvantage in some sense in a male-dominated workplace, for example, um, in terms of whether they speak up as much or listen to as much or are given the best assignments or are mentored as much, even when you're working all together in the office. Now, when you add that to a, what we call a remote work penalty, right, we know that some of these issues happen when you work remotely, right? You're less likely to have access to mentoring. It may be harder to network. It may be harder to get the best assignments. It may be harder to speak up. And you, if you couple those two things together, there might be particular people, I just gave women as one example, but they're not the only example, who are particularly disadvantaged structurally um, unless we take, you know, unless we're really aware of this and, and work hard to kind of offset these disadvantages. And I, I want to say it's, it doesn't mean that it's a bad idea for women to work remotely or anybody else, right? I think there's really great reasons why um, uh, women at a particular career stage, men at a particular life stage, um, might choose to work remotely, um, but you should recognize, they need to recognize and, and their managers need to recognize that that can come with what we call a double disadvantage um, of sort of being a little bit disadvantaged anyway, and then you've got the remote work penalty on top of it. And let me just add again, not just women, right? So it can be underrepresented minorities. It can be junior folks who, you know, don't really know their way around the organization very well um, or relatively new. It might be um, non-native language speakers who don't feel that comfortable even face-to-face, -face, never mind when they're working remotely as well, right, in, in, a, in an organizational setting. So for all sorts of people, it's important to recognize that you know, remote work has trade-offs, can have some real benefits again, but it, it can also be um, disadvantageous in a way that we may or may not recognize, but we need to recognize if we're not going to systematically disadvantage those people. 
So there are specific elements, specific challenges, I should say, of hybrid work, remote work because of the way that it is set up. Yeah, I think there are, you know, you've got this kind of fundamental kind of lack of of levelness in the playing field, and that plays itself out in a lot of different ways, right? So um, I've been using this framework a lot with some of the executives I teach um, called the five C's, or there are others too, but these capture some of the most important, I think, challenges that we see kind of emerging as a result of this lack of levelness of the playing field, right? And so the five C's, are around, I mean, some of these are very familiar to us by the, at this point, communication, coordination, connection, creativity, and culture, right? Um, and so each of those um, are, you know, have, have special challenges as a result of being of when you work in a hybrid system. Of course, they all have their challenges, even when you're not hybrid, right? Sure. But the fact that you have some people in the, in the workplace, in the office, and some people not, um, can create particular challenges around each of those five Cs. But it seems like culture is the one that is drawing a lot of attention these days and thinking about kind of the structure of what a company or what a manager wants around the office place. Fair to say? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really uh, interesting observation. And and it's something that I noticed I, I, almost two years ago. I was at a senior retreat for top CEOs, top executives, and I was facilitating a panel discussion, which really had nothing to do with remote work at all, literally two years ago. And I was absolutely taken aback by how every single CEO on this panel, there were three or four of them, independently and sort of building on each other, raised culture as the issue that they were really, it was really top of mind. And I think from a senior leader perspective, I mean, senior leaders do do and should think a lot about culture. Um, And there's no question that hybrid work creates massive challenges for culture, right? If you just think about sort of traditional, um, you know, traditional three aspects of how culture is maintained, attraction, selection, and retention, right? So culture is really important for attracting people, but in order to be distinctive, you have to have something distinctive about you. And if you're sort of, you know, if you don't have a strong culture or a strong identity, then what makes your investment bank any different from any other investment bank that folks may want to join, right? Um, so that's the attraction piece, you know. Um, and then who do you select and how, who chooses to, to, you know, who is really motivated to be there and wants to stay there over time, right? Uh, for junior people, um, culture is really important in helping to understand how things are done around here, um, sort of making sure that behaviors are sort of appropriate and are as productive as they can possibly be and are ethical, for example. Um, and, but even for, junior, for senior people, people who've been there a long time, right, culture is really important for motivating people and, and keeping them excited or interested in coming to work. And the less you have that, the less kind of pull there is of the organization, which is where you start getting problems with retention and people just, you know, being being happy to job hop because they don't see anything special about your organization. So culture is, you know, has, has all these different ramifications. Let me also ask you about the, the, the component of connection uh, and how you see that playing out as well. Um, when you're talking about, uh, the, the success, I guess it could probably be on a variety of fronts, how connection could, could end up having an impact. Right. So connection is partly, um, you know, technological connection, right. And, and sort of logistical, how easy it is for us to just do handoffs and stuff like that. 
But of course, the big piece that we've seen, um, and increasingly becoming, we were pretty aware of it as soon as it happened in the pandemic, but it's persisted, is social connection, right? And so the ability to socially connect is an enormous part of what happens inside organizations. And that has um, big advantages. It has disadvantages sometimes. We all know, you know, some of the social connections at work can be pretty, you know, not really always good. And sometimes we don't like being face-to-face with our bosses. And sometimes we don't want to go for drinks with our colleagues and all this kind of stuff, right? But there is something about that social connection and belonging that you get from interacting with people face to face in a non-work capacity but just chatting in corridors that is really important to people's mental health and well-being is part of what we've discovered right um, and that without that you know people can sometimes get you know really lonely or bored or not motivated by their work but there's also connection is also really important and it kind of connects with culture a little bit that way um, for innovation right and so one of the things one of the reasons why you know um, a lot of tech companies care about having people in the office is because it's those random connections that people make in the workplace um, that can lead to new ideas sparking, right? And it's the fact that I happen to get chatting in the elevator to somebody who was wearing a badge from a different group and I realize, oh, you know, what do you do? And they start chatting and then I realize there's a connection, right? Um, or maybe it's, you know, in the cafeteria line. And when, when everything is scheduled um, and we have to do everything via Zoom, we nearly always are doing it with the fixed set of people, right? Our opportunity to connect with people we don't already know in the organization is much lower in a, in a Zoom or fully remote world than it is in a face-to-face world. And so those connections that spark new ideas and innovations um, are really much harder to make. How do you think then the role of the manager kind of is able to deal with those five Cs so that they can ma- make the best of what is not a bad situation, but it it brings forward kind of more of a tenuous situation. Yeah, I think that one of the things that we do, uh, we're at, that we're at a point where what managers really need to be doing is is continuing, um, if they you know, hopefully they were already, to think actively about. Um, what is going on in their hybrid workplace and whether it's as good as it can be. Because I think the, the risk of being where we are in this sort of learning curve on hybrid work is that we've kind of settled into something, many organizations at this point, that pretty much works, you know, um, and isn't terrible and is probably pretty good. And it's very easy to just kind of say, okay, <laughs> let's get on with this now and, and do the work and try to normalize, right? And not to realize that we may not be doing as well on one of the five Cs or something else related to hybrid work that I haven't mentioned, like rewards or incentives, right, that we yeah. really need to pay attention to. So I think it's really important at this stage for managers to be taking the time to evaluate and review where they are, for example, on the five C's, right? Um, and, you know, it can be as simple as going through a checklist of, you know, let's give give ourselves a grade, right? Maybe I do that as a senior manager or I have everybody on my team also do that. Let's see if we agree, right? Are we, you know, great on, you know, communication, on coordination, on connection, on creativity and on culture? Or do we see areas where we, you know, there's room for improvement, And if so, we need to take a step back, brainstorm, think about what we can do better and try to implement that and then, you know, review that another six months down the line. But sort of settling into a pattern that's potentially suboptimal, I think, is a a big risk of of where we are, given how exhausting all these transitions have been in the last few years and the fact that now things are pretty, you know, relatively stable. And so they stay that way. And it probably makes it a challenge for the manager to try and make the workplace as fair as possible for everybody because of all these dynamics. 
Yeah. And so being aware, which means it's hard to be aware of everything all the time, right? But at least sort of scheduling in, you know, every couple of months or every six months, at least let's review how people are feeling about where they're working and whether that's still working for them. Maybe they want the option to change because we know people's circumstances always change throughout their lives, but also particularly in the last, in the last few years have been changing regularly. Right. And then asking people, I think, you know, and, and observing, um, and asking managers, you know, do people have the skills they need to be working this way? Right. Um, and so if they, and that kind of goes back to this idea of hybrid competence, right? So if you are, depending on where you are, you know, in the office or working remotely, or you're a manager, you kind of have a different set of responsibilities um, related to trying to build hybrid competence, right? I think the important point here is it's not just about the person who's working remotely, right? It's not the burden is not only on them to make sure that they speak up and are heard and are listened to and are represented and are able to make connections and everything else. They have for sure a responsibility to do that, need to recognize that. But it's also the people who are in the office who need to make sure that they are including the people who are working remotely and making space and time for them in the conversations and not leaving them out of important or even minor decisions, which is obviously something we can easily, you know, easily do when people are not around, right? Um, And so it's the people who are working remotely, it's the people who are in the office, and then it's the manager, whether it's of the team or of the organization, who needs to keep the whole thing in balance and, and, you know, ensure that both sides are doing that and kind of intervening as needed um, to make sure that, you know, everybody is kind of where they need to be. Martine, always great to talk to you and get your insight. Thanks very much. All the best. Thanks, Dan. Great to talk to you. Take care. You too as well. Martine Haas, Wharton Management Professor and also Director of the Lauder Institute. Thank you for listening to The Ripple Effect. We hope you found this episode informative and engaging. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you the best insight from the Wharton School.